Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Amen. Let's welcome on my boy, Pastor Lionel King. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with Epiphany. If you've been around when I've come around before, either virtually wave at me or anybody online, wave at me if you've been around. So for some, I'm kind of new. I, this is my first time being able to bring my bride. So that means if like on a scale of one to 10, the sermon was a six, it would have been a three if she wasn't here. So she gives me a little bit of double or something. So I'm appreciative of that. And But um, I'm ready to jump in. And so I just want to talk to you guys. Let me give a shout out to Pastor Brandon. Man, you guys are in a word-centered anchored church and Ty is, is killer. I was, she was up here. I was like, man, she, she up here praying. I'm catching something when she prayed. I leaned over to be like, this is real good. And so I appreciate that. Well, I'm ready to jump into the word and my hope is that uh, something connects with you and resonates with you. I want to talk to you about the topic living by faith. Living by faith. Often, this concept of faith can seem abstract or mercurial, hard to understand, hard to get a hold of. And I want to bring us to a very actualization, a boots to the ground understanding of faith. Faith often gets chucked up to what they would call the Kairos moments or the mountaintop moments or the parting of the Red Sea moments, the walking on water. Those are faith moments. And though those are great faith moments, how many of us understand that that's not just faith is not just present on the mountaintops, but it's also very much present in the valleys of life. The reality is that much of the Christian life is not lived in those high times. It's lived in the mundane moments of life. And how, how do we work out? How do we live by faith in the mundane moments, the very normal moments? And how do we flesh that, flesh that out? I, I want, uh, I'm going to stick, stick out in Hebrews or hang out in Hebrews for a little bit and I'm highlight a couple verses and kind of just pull out the nutrients of those verses. But Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 kind of gives us a very direct, a very clear understanding of faith. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. There's some implications in that verse or two alone that help us understand faith. Faith is taught in this verse. It's unwavering confidence. It's, it's what my, one of my mentors calls a bold trust in God. And then it, it goes on to say it, it's confidence in what we, what we hope for. So hope and faith are often connected. They're cousins coming together because what we learned about faith is that what gives credibility to your faith is where you're, who you're placing your faith in. That's what gives it its credibility. It's not the amount of faith. Some people like to boast in the amount of faith they have. I have great faith, faith, but they have faith in faith. There's no power there. But the, the truth is, what is the object of your faith? That's what gives your faith power. It's who? It's the what? Hey, remember, you know, at, at the height of um, COVID, when it first landed on our doorsteps, COVID, or some like to call it, we've added the the in front of it. In the height of the COVID... 
we, we didn't know much about it, and some folks were going to the extremes, and when you would go grocery shopping, there were folks that, you know what I'm talking about, you started chuckling because it's, it's you. And so when you would go grocery shopping, how many of you, were, some of us, I had a friend that was leaving the groceries in the garage for three days, almost, he said. He was like, I left it there to, to kill off the COVID. And, and so, wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. Or, or, or when they would go shopping, you, maybe you weren't that extreme. You brought them the groceries in the house, but how many of you had the ill wipe down process? Oh, there we are. Some of y'all was baptizing that mug. And... And, and here's the funny part, because if I, listen, listen I'm, I'm connected to faith, because if I were to just, and I'm not going to say, somebody I know very close to me was doing the same thing. And so, we was cleaning. <laughs> and I was. You ain't thick yet, brother. Was you thick? So, so, if I were to wipe it down in water, you would have no faith in that. Why? I don't care how much you'd be like, bro, it's water. Oh, but let me bring out the mighty Lysol, dog. Woohoo! So, bro, I was pitching Lysol on the corner of the blocks, $50 a pop, easy. <laughs> bro, I made it come up like crazy. Why? Because the faith was this that that product said it got rid of COVID. So, I put my confidence, my trust in this product to handle it. So, the same faith was there, but what shifted was the object. Water can't do what Lysol will do for me. So, I put my faith in, in, in that Lysol. I want you to know this world can't do what your God can do for you. So if I put my faith in God, then that gives credibility. That's where I can have mustard seed faith. It's not about, oh, I got to have this grand faith. Just have enough faith to trust in Jesus and you'll be good. That's what it says. It's hope there. And lastly, I do want to bring out this implication of faith that's right in this verse. It says, and it's assurance about what we do not see. So sometimes faith will be real to your mind's eye that your natural eye can't see yet. Faith doesn't really fully see. The five senses may not tap into what God is or, or deposited in you for your life. I want you to see Matthew Henry puts it like this. He says, he says this, faith demonstrates to the eye of the mind the reality of those things that cannot be discerned by the eye of the body. There are times... God graces us with a holy conviction, a holy imagination, even for epiphany to be birthed. I, was, I, was, I, I had the pleasure to come alongside of, of, of Brandon, uh, Pastor Brandon, before it was birthed. He saw something in his mind's eye that was going to take faith. I remember the call. I don't know if you remember this. B. You were like, yo, Lionel, I'm, I'm planting in Brooklyn. If you want to be part of the core team, that'll be dope. And I was like, yo, B, I would love to. Um, I, I have a little bit of leftover love for um, Brooklyn. But I was like, look, man. I said, stone him. <laughs> no, I said, I would love to, but I'm pretty planted at my church right now. That's what I was going on. But there was something that was clear to me. There was something in Pastor B and Ty's mind's eye that was real. And you're here today because faith birthed something that we all get to enjoy. Do you see the connection? Now, okay, I wanted to give some implications of faith because sometimes there's a lot of teaching on faith that's, that sounds good, but it's just not biblical. And so I want to land in Hebrews eleven six to answer this question, how do I live by faith? It's one thing to get a definition. It's another thing to actualize it and live it out. 
And it's this verse, if you've been around the word a bit, it says, and without faith, Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him or diligently seek him. I want to give you a few answers to how do I live by faith. My first answer would be this. To live by faith, we must have a relationship with God. It's very clear in this, take, in this text, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Very often in our context and the culture we live in, we can have a knowledge of something and think that's okay. But when scripture tells us to believe, it's not just intellectual belief. It does to start there. We need to understand the beauty of the gospel, but it's belief that goes from your head to your heart to your feet. It's an act of the will. It, it, repentance is, it shapes the way you live. The belief that it's talking about is I've repented and I want to live in a way that pleases God. And that's why there's a tension when we're not living in alignment with what we believe. In fact, I've learned this, either your feet follow your mouth or we end up with our foot in our mouths. I know there's a tweetable culture, so I'll say it again. Either your feet follow your mouth you end up with your foot in your mouth. There's a sense that there's an expectation that what we believe influences how we live. And that was the expectation in Hebrews 11.6, that you believe that he exists. I remember watching an award show, and, and um, it was in a regular, just regular, I think it was one of the Grammys or something like that, and I saw a Christian artist, it wasn't a mainly Christian um, uh, audience or anything like that. I saw a Christian artist go to receive an award that you ever heard something and it's, you never had to write it down. It was tattooed on your heart. Like it was just in permanent ink. And they said, they went up, they took the reward. They said, I can thank him with my lips, but I'd rather thank him with my life. I went, wow. I want to thank him with my lips, my life. When I think about relationship with God, we need to guard against concocting our old roadmap to God outside of what's been outlined in Scripture. Often, we want to set the guidelines for how we come to God as opposed to letting God set a boundary. He, he, he said it. He gave us the alignment. It's, it's kind of like we, we can concoct our own image of God and how we want to be in relationship with him. It's kind of like the young child that was at the kitchen table and he's scribbling down and he's drawing feverishly at the kitchen table and his dad walks in and he goes, hey, what are you drawing? And he goes, I'm drawing a picture of God. Keeps going. And his dad's scratching his head like, how are you drawing a picture of God? Nobody knows how God looks. Like most children, didn't listen. He just feverishly kept drawing a picture of God. And he, dad jumps in again, son, I, I'm telling you, nobody knows how God looks. How, how are you drawing a picture of God? And until so he finally was done, he looked at it, he said, here it is. He turned the picture around to dad. He said, dad, they didn't know how he looked. Now they know how he looks. This is God. 
And we can get a little chuckle out of that, but the reality is he made God in the image that he had in his mind, not the other way around. And we do the same thing when we think we can dictate the guidelines of the relationship we have with God when he said it very clear in the scripture, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody can get to the Father but through me. He made a beautiful way. Why? Because our own path to God would be sinking sand, but we on Christ the solid rock, we stand. He's the only credibility between me and the Father. He lived a perfect life and died a, a, a terrible death and rose on a third so you and I can be in relationship with him. There's nothing we can do to earn the love of God. And it's not what he's done, what we do for him, but what he's done for us. We don't work for grace. We work from grace. And so we understand something about the nature of God. He's done it all. The question is, have I surrendered my life to that? That's the humbling part. And we'll try to add all the good deeds and check off boxes and oh, I'm going to come to church all the time. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. Nothing wrong with that. But let me give you a little you know, news flash. None of that saves you. Only the blood of Christ qualifies you. And listen, Bible reading, church attendance, all that cultivates, it nourishes a healthy relationship with God. But it doesn't save you. He's done it all on the cross. Have you accepted that gift? And so we learn. If we're going to live out faith, we need to start at the place of relationship because anything outside of relationship is not biblical faith. It might be the world's definition, but biblical faith, according to that, must be in relationship with God. And so we start there. And I want to move this along, though, to understand then what are the implications from this text that we learn? We must be in relationship with God. But the second answer to the question of living by faith, or how do I live by faith? To live by faith, we must respond to God. That's all through Hebrews 11. I don't have the time to read through Hebrews 11 in, in full, but you're going to see great men and women who responded to God in obedience when God spoke. And so when God spoke, didn't mean they didn't struggle. Didn't mean they didn't have weaknesses. I love the fact we still serve a God who's making straight lines with crooked sticks. We, 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 none of us have a flawless cross every T, dot every I, but you see people with great faith. You see people with faith. What made it great was they put their faith in a great God to do something with them, and we find that they responded to the word of God, to the very word of God. And we get, guess what we get on this side of the heavens? We get 66 good old books that we get to respond to. We get the scriptures, and, and I want to encourage you, because one thing I know about Epiphany, I remember I had, I, I ended up getting COVID, like, after everybody got it. Like, my family, we got hit with it a couple months ago, and I'm like, for real? Like, we missed the big old wave, and then now we got the COVID, and the whole house, and I got flu and COVID. I had Flovid. It was ridiculous, bro. I never, I, I was like, Steph, I feel like I'm dying. Like, what in the world? And, 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 and I tuned in, and, and I, I love Epiphany so much. I tuned in to watch, uh, and I'm texting, uh, B didn't even get it throughout the day. I'm texting, like, this is good. I'm in the comments section, and I'm seeing online. And one thing I know about Epiphany Brooklyn, this is a word-centered church. It's going to be anchored. One thing I know about Pastor Brandon and Ty, all the team here, it's going to be anchored in the word. But we need to be those people that the only time you hear the word can't be on a Sunday. You need to do a Monday through Saturday pursuit of the word of God. You need to lunch on it. Let it speak to you. Let it, let it guide you. Let it be, you know, let it encourage you. And can I say this? One of the, one of the things that, that 
I think about when it comes to the word and that, that sense of community and pursuing it, as we're talking about responding to God, this is just something that came to mind, is that as a pastor, I get to pastor down in Jersey, in Montclair, New Jersey, is the campus I'm at, and uh, my lead pastor is David Ireland at Christ Church, and, and so I'm there, and I'm, in, I'm down there, and I'm sitting there, and I hear people go, man, it was a tough week, we all have that, and I was encouraged when I came to the house of the Lord, and I'm so thankful for that, I'm so thankful for the encouragement when we come into the house of the Lord. But you know what? I, I wonder sometimes, did you allow the word to encourage you during the week? Because sometimes we're so malnourished by the time we come to Sunday. You see what I'm saying? And I'm not saying I don't get encouraged when I'm with the family of believers. I'm simply saying, are we responding to the word of God? And when we take that serious, I think of a story that comes to mind. Isaiah 61.1 says, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. There was an individual in history who took this passage in such a literal way, specifically to proclaim liberty to the captives. And I'm so happy that woman took that passage seriously because she started the Underground Railroad. Her name was Harriet Tubman. You are a dangerous people when you get serious about the word of God. You want to know a dangerous church? It's a word-centered church. It's a worship and a word-centered church. I, rem I want you to know that. You are dangerous. What is God stirring up in you in your quiet times with him? And so, we learn we must respond. Now, listen. Responding to God throughout Hebrews 11 looks different in different seasons. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to give you some very practical ones. This is how it looked practical. And I'm not going to be able to unpack each story around it, but I'll give the reference and you can read it, Hebrews 11, on your own. What does a faith response look like when we respond to God? First is this. A faith response looks like walking. What do I mean by that? Hebrews 11, 5, 6 talks about Enoch. And they said, Enoch... Walked so closely with the Lord, he pleased God so much. Scripture says he didn't experience death. God just snatched him up because he was enjoying him that much. Oh, man, think about that. You walk so intimately with God. God was like, nah, bro. Like, you can just come up here with me. We good. Like, imagine in the middle of my sermon right now, like, I'm just walking. I'm like, yeah, speaking on God. All of a sudden, I just start gliding. It's like, it's been real, Brooklyn. I'm out here. <laughs> and you just be like, oh, snap. I'm just saying that Chris Browning it through the stage. Like, I just bang, bang, bang. And all of a sudden, you see me, you see me floating like, well, who has him on the thing? It's not that. One of the angels got me. And I'm like this. And so, <laughs> it's says Enoch walked so intimately he pleased God. I often think to myself if God brought me up past me, he'd probably be like nah bro, I need some more work on you bro. Your holiness game kind of shaky. Let me bring you back down. I can't chill with you up here yet. But my point is this though. What are we doing in our walk to please God? And then the question becomes what area of my walk is unpleasing to God? We all got areas, man. Nobody's killing it across the board. The issue is when you think you're killing it across the board, right? But the people around you know you ain't killing it across the board. And the big issue you got is pride because you think you're killing it across the board. What areas does God have his finger on that you know it? One of the principles we have in my context is keep your confessions current. 
Don't let any heart, because listen, the more you just let, allow a sin, we all have gone to that place. Come on, let's be real. You ever been in a situation like the how did I get here situation? Is that just me? Or maybe, maybe just my therapy session at Epiphany Brooklyn today. How do we get here? Because often we've allowed a sin to take root, go unchecked, unrepentant, and we're drifting and drifting and drifting and drifting until you look back at the shore. Like, well, I'm that far. It's not worth it, family. Just keep your confessions current because there's a gift. You want to know how to live by faith? Walk in intimacy with God. Walk to please him. Walk to please him. Again, I ask you, what area do you need to just bring before him right now? It's not worth holding on to. It takes great faith to say no to certain temptations, but it also takes great faith to repent. Say, God, forgive me. I confess that this is offensive to you. I agree with it. Give me the strength to walk away from it and run towards you. Can I say this parenthetically? You want to know if it's God wooing you? Conviction is beautiful because conviction woos you to God. Condemnation runs you from God. An enemy works in condemnation. Conviction woos you to him. You ain't shock him. I want you to know no broken area of your life shocks God. God, there's no aha moments in, like, there's no for real moments in heaven. You just ain't being real with you. He sees it all. So just have a moment and say, God, forgive me. Give me the strength. So responding to God includes walking. What I mean by that is intimacy. I like to submit the second W on responding to God. Living by faith is walking. The other one is, is waiting. Waiting. Oh, man. I, I got to say that. Wait. I, I can't wait to learn how to wait well sometimes like it's my least favorite discipline I, I never met a person that's like yo God got me in a waiting season I'm loving this John like it's amazing son like you ever met who I don't enjoy wait, like waiting is tough when you're expecting God to do something and he got you in a wait like bro waiting is tough I don't care how you slice it we're, we're teaching our daughter our daughter my wife and I have two beautiful children, four and one and a half, and our four-year-old, she's learning how to wait. And, and, and sometimes we'll be like, it's coming, it's coming, but she, and we give her the language, waiting is hard. And she'll be like, daddy, waiting is hard. Waiting is hard, daddy. And I'm like, you ain't lying. And so, <laughs> you ain't lying, don't get any easier, boo. <laughs> it ain't gonna get any easier. No, but one of the sisters from the church, I'm reminded of this right now, um, when we had Keziah over, she's like, she heard my daughter go, we were like, it's coming, baby. She was, she was like, oh, daddy, waiting is hard. And then you got you to have some solid believers around. She's like, yeah, sister, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthened. I was like, go ahead. She's, that's one of our worship leaders. She was sitting there. Yeah, but you can't learn. Let me tell you, I'm going to cast the spirit. You need, you, need, you need some of them folks around you sometimes to remind you that you can wait. Here, here's the scary part about waiting. See, we all got to wait, but not all of us are waiting well. And one of the things that seeps into our hearts during our times of waiting at times can be entitlement. 
We start to list on why God should be blessing me. I mean, we don't say it, but we start thinking like, bro, I, I did what I'm supposed to do. I've been praying about this. I've been in my word. I said no to this. Why are you not blessing me? And God's like, good for you. But if I did another, not another thing for you, what I did on the cross is all that I ever had to do. And that's worth celebrating right there. But I'm so gracious. I'll still, I'll still entertain you for a little bit more. And so entitlement could slip in to anybody. It's just a dangerous thing. And then when entitlement goes unchecked, it turns into bitterness. And so you start thinking, now I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to. So you become bitter. Bitter means he doesn't stop his union with you. He has a union with us, but we're stopping our communion with him. It's like a marriage. You could be in union with one another, but not be in healthy communion with one another. And so when we start getting bitter, and that's what, that, that's what we know. Hold up. This has got to get checked. Holy Spirit, help me. And the other the thing I've learned about waiting, <laughs> what I know about waiting, not only do we look at our track record and stuff like that, sometimes we can slip into trying to concoct our own promise. If you look at Hebrews 11, the person I'm drawing from is Abraham. Abraham gets the promise. You can read it for yourself. Who gets this promise that you're going to have, you know, your wife is barren. She's not having children, but you're, I'm going to give you children. Some scholars are up in the air with how long he waited. One scholar said Abraham waited for the promised son Isaac for 25 years. 25 years. In that time of waiting, he tried to concoct his own blessing. And yeah, if you read the Genesis passage, when he was talked in by his bride to sleep with the maidservant, like maybe, maybe God wants you to sleep with somebody else to, to, so we can have this promised child. And Abraham was like, well, I'll just suffer for the Lord and just, I'll just do what I got to do. But how you know it was all jacked up? How you know that was all jacked up? Because you'll never have to compromise your integrity to actualize a promise from God. You won't. You won't. So obviously that didn't work. That's where we get Ishmael from. But now he waited for Isaac. One of the ways, can I give a, a real ground level way where I see people try to concoct a promise in their waiting season sometimes? Can I? Is it okay, Epiphany? Can I be honest? It's cool because I don't got to be here next week. Pastor B is going to kill it next week. And y'all just, <laughs> I ain't got to be here. So they can get mad at me. Don't be mad at the lead pastor. You know what I mean? You know where I see it? In relationships. Whew, it's going to get quiet. This, even at the 930, it's the quietest part of the service. I've seen folks in their singleness try to concoct a blessing that wasn't a blessing. Because you couldn't wait on a healthy situation. So you compromise by allowing Pookie to get back in the picture. And Pookie could care less about the things of God or you. Listen, if you have to take a break from Jesus to date that person, I, I, I'll just keep, y'all like skip to the next point. Yeah, can I stay here for a little bit? Even if it, even if it hurt, if you got to take a break from Jesus to get to that part, and you talking about, because listen, the, the, the ro romantic love is a strong thing. It's a desire. It's holy. There's nothing wrong with desiring a healthy relationship. And, and I, I, listen, I had this privilege because I live now in North Jersey. I'm born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. And by the way, anybody from Newark, New Jersey, we don't claim Jersey. We say we're from Newark, New Jersey. We don't. Jersey Shore to mess that up for us. We're like, bro, I, that was not my reality. And so I will say this. 
I asked Gabe, and Gabe was gracious enough to bring me. I live in northern Jersey out there, and it's like two hours away from here. So they're like, why don't you come in the night before and, and do that? So I said, awesome. I'm going to be bringing my wife. And uh, they, I said, where do you recommend we eat? And he was like, oh, go to Imani's. Y'all ever ate at Imani's? Was, that ain't it good? And the Lord revealed something to me while I was in Imani's. He said, this food will be served in heaven, my son. Like, that joint was rocking. Yo, let me tell you something. That, that, <laughs> yo, that oxtail was hitting, though. Like, it was hitting different. It, 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 I'm black and Puerto Rican, so it hit the soul side of me. And a, eh, eh, it was in there, dog. Like, that joint was hitting. And I thought to myself, me and my wife were sitting in Imani's and we got like the good seat. Like they put a little lamp with a candlelight next to me and I was all leaned up. And my wife, like I'm still highly, like you look good. Like I'm massively attracted. So I was sitting there leaned up against the wall. I was like, yo, for real. For real. So I was leaned up. I was like, I was like yeah. And, and it was like a candle lit. And let me tell you something. If we're not careful, you put us in a dim room in Imani's and anybody looked like the promise of God right there. With, oh, snap. Get that candlelight going. You be sitting there like, oh, this gotta be Jesus. That oxtail. And then they had the jerk chicken and the baked mac and cheese. It was hitting. Anybody looked like the promise of God. And I bet you God be saying like, that ain't a promise. That's a problem. You better run the other way if this thing is not in my will. And I've spent a lot of counseling hours, unfortunately, a lot of counseling hours in marriages that were unequally yoked going in. And they were dating outside of the will of God. But let me be clear for anybody here. If you are married, that is now currently the will of God. And you grind through that covenant and trust God to say, Lord, I want to work through in it with you and him. Don't try to just concoct a promise. When it's a God-given promise, your integrity does not have to be compromised. It should draw you closer to the things of God, not away from it. Does that mean there won't be hardship? No. There's no such thing as this whole perfect union. No. It just simply means you have to come to the place where you know God is in this with me, and I want to do it God's way. And can I just say this? In my two decades of walking with Jesus, I never saw somebody regret doing it God's way. Not one. But I have seen the reverse. So, because y'all forced me away, I'll move on to the next one. Some of y'all mad. Y'all checked out. Y'all like, he could have stayed back in Jersey all by himself. New York don't need that kind of <clears throat> heresy up in here. What is a faith response? It includes walking. It includes waiting. And lastly, for the sake of my talk, I can't go through all of them. A faith response includes warring. We look at Moses who chose to suffer with the people of God. And listen, and go against Pharaoh and set the captives free. It's the whole parting of the Red Sea. There's a time, though, that I see something in the life of Christianity. When I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for looking at church history. And I was just talking to Pastor B about some of the saints of old and some of their writings. And I start to think to myself, when did the church become a church that forgot that we're a warfare church? Like from somewhere from back in the day where they were highly aware of it. So now we think that things are just, it won't wrap a 
theology around, well, if God wants it to happen, it will happen. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's some things you got to fight for in the place of prayer to say, nah, 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 nah. Like, I want you to know, Peter's not here. Paul's not here. None of us are here. We here, and we got to keep on fighting for the things of God. There are times you got to get a hold of a text, of a promise. You think the enemy's just going to lay down and let you live out the will of God for your life? You better think something else, sis. You think the enemy's just going to let a church galvanize, be revived and enlightened with the things of God? Absolutely not. But we'll make a church a church is a church that knows how to war for the will of God and for the promises of God. There are times that your faith has to hit. You see, we're so scared of making sure we don't get people messed up and think, well, you know, it can happen the other way. And I, I agree. Pastor B did a great job on that. Even last service, we talked about Hebrews 11. There were those that gave their lives in great faith for, the, for God. And yes, that's a real thing. But I want you to know something. You got to come to God with full assurance in his abilities and full surrender to his will. So I come to God knowing if you want to believe God for healing, I'm going to keep believing for healing until I die in that casket. If I'm going to believe God for barrenness, I'm going to keep believing that that child is birthed until I'm in a casket. I want you to understand something. Learn how to fight a good fight in the place of warfare. Too often, we treat Christianity like a cruise ship. We're just all on this boat, chilling. We made a nice little country club. Everybody cool. We come together as part of our culture. We, we, we swagged out. I see you. You are seen. Yeah. Cruise ship, though, theology is how do, they, how do I get served? When we're on a cruise ship, you want to be served. I want you to know we ain't on a cruise ship, sis. We're on a battleship. <laughs> see, see, cruise ship, I want to get served. Battleship, I'm doing some serving. See, see, the, the cruise ship theology says, oh man, ain't no fighting here. We're just lounging. Battleship theology is, I know there's some fighting and I can lounge later. And what I mean by that is this. We need to understand he's not just the God that's comforting and loving. He is that. He's also God, the general, that can teach us how to fight strategically. I love Ephesians 6, 12. And I chose to, the KJV version, King James version. I, I chose that one because sometimes King James be making some stuff sound hard. Like, I <laughs> Like these new translations, they'll be hitting like King James at the time. He said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're so busy fighting each other, we're forgetting to fight the right enemy, the enemy of our souls. And we're, we're so caught up in all this. He said, she said, what, what did God say? And we got to go against that. You know how many times, if I'm being real with you, you know how many times I've been, we've been, me and my wife, we don't get into arguments. It's intense fellowship. So, <laughs> so, you know how many times me and my wife had an honest talk? Like, we're fighting the wrong person. We, we going at each other. We need to be fighting the enemy of this covenant. <laughs> and when you shift who your enemy is, watch what God does. Charles Spurgeon said, don't rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Rejoice that your name is written in the enemy's book because he knows you're a target because you're pushing against his kingdom. <laughs> he said, don't just rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Rejoice that the enemy knows your name. Because you're pushing back on some things. What area of your life do you need a manifestation of God, man? One of the theologians of old said, when I come across a promise in scripture, I grab, it's like a tree. 
He said, I grab a hold of that tree like a fruit tree and I shake that tree in the place of prayer until the fruit falls down and I get to taste that promise for myself. And sometimes part of our devotional life is what Martin Luther King would say, trying to bridge the gap from where I am to where scripture says I ought to be. And we get a hold of that thing and you war for that thing. I just came to remind you don't stop fighting. Don't, don't throw in the towel. And if you did, pick it back up. And if you are going to throw in the towel, at least let it have some sweat on it. Because you fought a good fight. Fought. And there's certain things that God and his sovereignty, I do believe God is sovereign. He's all powerful. I do believe he has the devil on a leash. He can't, the devil can't just do whatever he wants. God is sovereign. I do believe that. But I do think there's a or God has ordained certain things for us to experience in the place of prayer. And that we won't experience it for ourselves until we spend time in the secret place. And so lastly, I'm going to get out of your way because I, I understand brunch is a popular uh, situation out here. And I know you guys want your brunch. My hope is that you lunch on some spiritual food first before you hit some of the natural spots. And uh, how many of you are tracking with me on, on what it is you need to be fighting for? Talking about living by faith, we learn that some of it means walk, work, walking. Some of it means warring. Some of it means waiting. I want to submit to you my final answer to how do I live by faith. Final answer, to live by faith, we must expect rewards from God. It's not the same thing as entitlement. Rewards. See, Scripture gives me permission to, to wait on God and expect a reward. At least Hebrews eleven six 6 does. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. What? And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When the Bible gives you permission to believe God for something, just believe God for something. And you say, what are the rewards? If we look at contextually in Hebrews 11, we find that some of the rewards were answer prayer. You go through that whole point where Abraham does get the promised child. Moses does set them free. Rahab does cover the spies and make sure they're not in trouble. And, and so I want you to see that there were rewards of answered prayer. Those are some of the rewards we get. It doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean God answers it the way we always want it answered. How many of you understand that? Okay. But what's another reward? One of the rewards that you see all through Hebrews 11 is we get the gift of co-laboring with God. How awesome is it that the God of the universe desires relationship with you and he humbles himself in such a way that he uses human beings for his redemptive plan? Man, that blows my mind. I think we take for granted that God chooses to use us. He chooses to come alongside, to lead us and guide us. We get the awesome privilege. It's a privilege to be used of God. And I don't want you to get it twisted. Some people think used of God is only in this little square or whatever up here. I'm talking about on your job. I'm talking about in your homes, in your schools. When you are just a representative of the kingdom of God, an ambassador, that is a reward from God that you are operating. Some of you are getting to operate in your calling and the way you were wired and God's using you in the business world as a lawyer, as an artists as whatever your area is God is using you do you know that's a gift 
That's one of the rewards we get. And he, he chooses to co-labor with us. That's crazy. Thank God I'm not God. Because I wouldn't have had patience with none of y'all. Not even me, dog. I, you know how many times I done sat if, if I was God, i like, all right, bro. Lionel, we're going to wrap this up, dog. All right, angels, kill him, tell him, tell him. They're going to hell, you're going to hell. All right, we out. This thing's wrapped up. No, God is patient. He's, he's loving. He's compassionate. He desires this. That's one of the rewards. I submit to you, one of the rewards I would love to highlight to you as I come to a close and land this plane is this. One of the greatest rewards we could experience in living out our faith is intimacy with God. It's a beauty when God chooses to reveal more of himself to you. We all know prayer is a dialogue. It's not just my laundry list of stuff. It's him sharing things with you that he has on his heart about you. What he's called you to do and enjoying you delighting in you and you delighting in him. Something about intimacy that he's after. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure we always stored that properly. How quick we could just skip out on our quiet times and get distracted. Love going to people, but how many times I'm guilty of going to people for wisdom instead of sitting before a holy God, asking him. But he's gracious. He's intimate. He chooses a message like this. For us. He misses times with you. Desires that intimacy. I'll close with, it was John Cavanaugh. He was a noted and famous ethicist. He was notable. He was trying to figure out what is he going to do with the rest of his life. And so he decided, I'm going to spend three months with Mother Teresa in Calcutta to get a sense of what do I do with the rest of my life? And as he was spending time with her in what they call the house of the dying, where a lot of sickly were present and so on and so forth. Yeah, he wanted to know how to best spend his life. And he said, Mother Teresa, would you pray for me? She said, I'll pray for you. What is it you want me to pray for? He said, you seem like a very clear person, clear about your purpose, clear about what you're doing. So can you pray for clarity for me? I want clarity. She looked at him. She smirked and she said, no, I'm not going to pray that for you. Look back. He's like, but you're like the clearest person I know. She said, no, it's not about clarity. He said, in fact, clarity is the thing that's hindering you from putting a bold trust in God. So what I am going to pray for you is that you learn how to trust God, even when things aren't clear. He said that I'll pray for you. That's the essence of intimacy. Martin Luther said, even if Jesus had a drawn sword towards me, I will still run to him with open arms because I trust him that much. Once intimacy. I just want to pray. 
I'm going to close out and hand it over to Pastor B in a moment. But if you're here today, so my heart in this service right now, and you're saying, Lord, I, I have a deeper desire to just deepen my intimacy with you. And you're knowing God's just, he's nudging your heart right now to say, I need you to spend more time with me. I need you to just steal away with me. I need you to shift your schedule in such a way where, it's, where you're making space for me. If that's you and you're saying me, that's me, pastor. I want to I wanna steward my intimacy with God to a greater degree. If that's you, I'm not going to force you up. But could you just stand up right where you are? Just that's the honest being, being honest about right where you are. Right where you are. You don't have to forget, block out the world around you. It's just about where are you? Where, where are you? He's after you, man. I sense that there's some of you here that you feel like one of the things that's stealing your intimacy with God is, is condemnation. You just feel like, man, if I get what God, he just wants to show me all my dirt. <laughs> all my stuff. And I'm not saying we don't have to deal with that stuff. I, I'm not dismissing it. I'm just simply saying God, God wants to work it out with you in his arms, man. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's way more gracious than we'll ever understand. Right where you are. I just want to pray. So Holy Spirit, we come before you right now. You know the truth about every person in this room, yet you still love us. Forgive us for the times we've skipped out on our quiet times with you or just we we're doing it in rote and not really enjoying it. Forgive us for the times we made it a chore on our to-do list. If it's not our greatest desire, make it our greatest discipline, Lord. Teach us to love it. Teach us to wait on you again. Teach us to enjoy being in the presence of God again. May we be ones who can proclaim with the psalmist, I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. May there be a sweetness to our time in prayer, our time in the word, our times of fellowship. We need you. Download more of yourself into us. We know we become what we behold. So help us to behold you. We need you, Lord. From this day on, we make a fresh commitment to pursue you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.